My guest today is the Senior Vice President of EMEA at Coupla Software. And here's what some of his colleagues say about him. An authentic leader, someone who quickly establishes trust, always supportive in the bad times and motivating in the good times. Here's another one. He combines my two favorite traits in a business partner, easily blending focus on execution with a terrific sense of humor. Darren Nesbitt, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's uh, quite um, humbling, actually, listening to those, Paul. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure they're very well deserved and there's quite a few of them there. I just took a little samplings of what people were saying and I thought there was some, there was a thread throughout that as well in terms of uh, focus on outcomes, delivery, with delivered with a sense of humour as well and personality and that all of them seem to, 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 to exude how, enjoy, how much they found working for you as an enjoyable experience. So kudos to you. You want to be a good leader, right? I think it's important. Yeah. You know, it, 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 this is what I do, right? This is my job. I do this every day. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and you want to be good at it. And you want to yeah. engage with people in the right way. You know, I, yeah. I follow, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, but I'm, I'm a big advocate of the Stoics. I, I read a lot of Stoicism. And, and okay. they talk a lot about just doing the right thing. You've got to do the right thing. Yeah. Whatever the right thing is. Um, and that's Fantastic. by people, right? That's by everybody yeah. else. And, and if that yeah. if that follows through and, and people enjoy that and, yeah. uh, and respect it, then great. I want to come back on that because it's a philosophy that I have come across. It seems to resonate well with me, but to be honest, I don't know a lot about it and I've never read anything formal. So I, I would like to talk to you about that. Before we get there, I'm sensing a, a northern accent. Do, did I get that right? That's a Matt, wonderful guess, Paul, right? Wonderful guess. <laughs> no prizes for guessing yeah. I'm a northerner, right? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm not an Englishman, so I'm only going... I mean, I did, I did live in England a few years, so I'm kind of familiar with the regional accents. But sometimes... I may not be so precise. So, for example, uh, it, I, the, I'm getting a sense of Yorkshire stroke Manchester, but I'm not quite sure. It's certainly not. I'm see, I'm going to say it's not Leeds, but then you might tell me it is. I don't know. But it's it's that region. I'm guessing. I'm, no, you tell no, me. It's, it's, I, I was born in Cumbria in the Lake District. So OK, so north of Manchester. Very north, maybe maybe 20 yeah. miles from from the border with Scotland. So OK, wow. And I spent the first 19 years of my life there in the Lake District. So yeah. It was a lovely place to yeah. go. I was going to ask you what's that like because I, I I love landscape photography and so I'm always attracted to regions like that, whether it's Snowdonia in Wales or obviously parts of Ireland or um, Glencoe in Scotland is wonderful. I've never been to the Lake District and I've seen pictures of it. It, it, it must be a wonderful place to grow up. Um, you don't appreciate it as a kid. Right, because you're in it, right? You, you, mm. I think it was, I was underappreciated when I was a child growing up. And interestingly, in the past few years, I've fallen back in love with it. And I try and go as often mm. as I possibly can. It's beautiful, mm. but I didn't understand its beauty as a kid, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I so I, I, I think I was probably privileged and blessed. Um, but now I appreciate that much more. Yeah. I'm guessing you're not living. You you mentioned you go back there. You're, I live you're in Leamington Park now. Okay. Um, okay. It's much easier with the job. Um, yeah. Because it's quite a long way up, right? But no, I I, I don't think I'd ever move back. Uh, yeah. But but I still love going back. Still got family there. 
great. Okay. When you were younger, did you have any sense growing up that you would ever end up in sales or in a business focused type role? No, absolutely not. The scale of my ambition at that point in time, when I was a kid growing up, was so much smaller than what it is at the moment, or mm. has been. Mm. I never imagined mm. I, I'd be in this sort of role. I went to a school which was you know, a comprehensive school, mm -hmm. quite a rough school probably, tough, tough upbringing, mm -hmm. um, very mm -hmm. working class background. I think there were two, two boys mm. out of my year that went to university and I was one of them. Maybe mm. four did A levels at the time. So it was that type of school. Everybody left in 16 and went to work at Sellafield or in construction or similar. So I never mm. had any belief that I would, I, I would, you know, move on and work in a business environment, let alone sales. Mm. I'm interested in that as a topic, um, people's backgrounds and the effects it has on them. And, I think it, whether it's a working class environment or a very, very privileged background, um, I, I think they both present their challenges, but they also prevent their blessings as well. And now looking back on that, what do you take out of it that has helped you, assisted you in, in your own career? What, what did you take from your, your upbringing? I think, I think the primary thing, perversely Paul, was, was actually a hindrance. Um, a ceiling I set myself. You know, I didn't believe in myself mm. from, from an early age. It took me a long time mm. to get there. And I think the advice I would have for anybody, for, for my children or anybody I talk to, is believe in yourself. Um, mm. We've all got the same opportunities. We might mm. not be born with the same opportunities in life, but we can create the same opportunities. Um, mm. And maybe there's that. Maybe it's that, that bit of desire and, and commitment to things. And a grounding as well. Um, it's mm. important you, you do have a grounding and you don't get above yourself. Mm. Maybe that's mm. some of the things that I bring through. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, something I can identify with is that sense of your surroundings heavily influence what you think about the world and what you think about yourself. For you, when, when was the spark? When did you start to think differently about possibilities that lay ahead for you? I, I left university, stumbled through university, stumbled into a job. I always call myself Lucky Nisbet, right? But I think I'm lucky. And I bought the Sunday Times one Sunday after I'd left university and found a job as a salesperson in, for, for a company called Centerfile, now, now Ceridian. And I mm. went through the interview process and got that job. And it was a big world for me at the time. But I had a pension for it pretty quickly because um, I worked damn hard and mm. I probably had a, a level of commitment and desire which was much stronger than most. And I think I grew in confidence and stature pretty quickly at, 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 at Centerfile in my first ever role. Um, mm. And an incredibly intense competitive spirit also mm. came through. I was always good at sport. I played a lot of sport at school. Um, so I think that came through and, and I suddenly began to realize I, I can be part of this sort of bigger world, right? Mm. Was your interest in sport... All right, sorry, let me ask you that again. Was your competitive nature, did, did that come from your interest in sport 
or did it lead to your interest in sport? That's a great question. I, I think it, it led to my interest in sport. I think it was probably inherent in me from a very young age, and it probably flourished within sport mm. too. Yeah. And I'm wondering then, when, when you have that, is that nature, nurture, is, 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 was there something in your surrounding, your own family environment that was competitive? Um, or was it maybe just something that sparked in you, look, I, I want to get away from this. There's, you, you felt different about yourself and that you just wanted to explore different worlds. Depends how deep we want to go, Paul. Right? I think that mm. there's, you know, I, I, know, I know exactly what it is, right? And it's a desire if I'm, I'm very personal, to desire to have my parents appreciate me, very much so, mm. Mm. Um, and, and have them be proud of me. And mm. that drove me, definitely. I wanted to please them. Mm. Um, mm. And, and, you know, my dad loved sport, and I think I wanted to be competitive and succeed at support mm. because of him, right? Because I wanted him to be pleased with me. Um, mm. And then... The reason I went to university was to please my mum, right? Just because mm. she wanted me to go, um, yeah, and she wanted me to succeed, and that, that that's where that drive, even today, comes from. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not a bad thing in itself because if it's if it's channeled correctly, it can actually be really fundamental in 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 our trajectory and in, in in work and life, and because it, it came up in on another couple of. Uh, guests I had in the podcast recently and one of them was um, there was a, an Indian lady her, her parents were Indian she grew up in her, and, and she had this um, CEO of her company now uh, just sold it do, doing extremely well obviously and um, but she said the thing that drove her was wanting to prove her parents right and somebody else talked about this recently and I just thought the turn of phrase was interesting because we often talk about proving people wrong, but actually creating this bar that we want to aspire to in, in order to please and, and prove somebody's belief in us correct can be even more powerful, I think, than trying to prove somebody wrong. Um, but, but both can be actually powerful motivators in, in, in life. Um, I think the sad, and, and, the, the, the sad thing is, Paul, if you take those into context, where are, do we want to prove someone right or do we want to prove someone wrong? Unfortunately, mm. there's lots of people who want to prove us wrong, and therefore mm. we want to prove them wrong, right? There's more of those people than more of these. Right? Yes. And it got a yes. great, something that I get, I get a lot from is encouraging people, is telling people yeah. to believe in themselves, and, and hopefully rather than them wanting to prove me wrong, mm. they want to believe in themselves and, and, and prove me right, you know? Um, mm. They come back to me and say, "You know, you, you were right." And I've done. It, I've seen it recently. It's 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 very rewarding. Mm. So here's a question for you, uh, and I appreciate your insights on this. I have because because I, I feel you're right about the idea of when you set when you believe in people, there's a drive in them to live up to that belief. If you knock people down, some people will just fall over. A, but there will be a small percentage, people with that high rebellious spirit. And it's, it's almost like, mm, you know, it, it, it lights. And I say that because I think I'm one of those individuals. If you tell me I can't do something, it'll motivate me to do it. 
where I know there's other people, if you tell them they can't do something, they'll go, do you think so? Like, and I'm just wondering, in your, in your leadership style, is there, is there room for both? Or is it, look, really, uh, you're just better off if you believe in people and, and let them live up to that belief? I, always, I have a belief also that, that you, you cannot create a team of people that are all the same. And it's mm. one of the most richly rewarding parts of the job, right? Is that you, 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 you support different types of people with different requirements and beliefs, systems and feelings. So some you encourage and, and some, you, you know, I, I love pitching people against each other. I'll be honest, I do that, right? I say, you, you, you're not mm. really going to be Paul this year, are you? you know, he's going to do better than you. And sort of walk away, <laughs> leave it hanging, right? Because I know... I know they'll be furious with it. Yeah. Right? Whereas yeah. others, I might say, "What are you aspiring to be?" And and, and I say, "That's that's nonsense." And you get the shock, right? I say, "That's nonsense." Mm. You've got to aim much higher because you're much better than that. Mm. You set mm. yourself a bar here. You can be there, right? Mm. You just need to believe in yourself. Mm. But it's different people to feed off different yeah. things, right? It's a You've got to observe people and just try and understand them. And they're fascinating mm. things when you take that into a, an international work, where you, you have mm. to you know, understand different personalities from different nationalities too. And this yeah. is where I talk about the job being very enriching, right? It's, there's a lot of complexity and, 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 and reward you get from all of that. Mm. What gives you the greatest level of satisfaction then in what you're doing currently? I had a conversation with some of my guys today, right? I said, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. I don't care about what the commission is. I just, just want to perform and, and, and do what's best for the company. So it's the sense of achievement you get mm. um, from bringing people along, helping people grow and, and help your business grow. Um, there, there, there are different facets to it, but it's definitely mm. being successful at what you do and helping mm. other people to be successful at the same time. And mm. I say, you know, I, I take this from an old mentor, my role is to make as many people successful as possible. It's as simple as that. Because yeah. if they're successful, then I am too. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned there a couple of times about mentors. Uh, how important was having mentors in your professional development, particularly as a leader? Well, there's a saying that comes from the Stoics as well, right? Which is, um, you, 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 you can't choose your parents, but you can choose whose children you are. Mm. Yeah? So mentors are incredibly important. You must find mentors that work for you in whatever capacity. Mm. And feed off them, right? These people have got mm. experience and knowledge and wisdom, um, and, and can help you. And, and you know, I always say to people, if you ask for help, I talk about courage a lot as well. But one of the most courageous things to do is ask for help. Mm. And ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, if you ask for someone for help, for help, they won't help you. Someone comes to mm. you and says, "Paul, do you mind just helping me with this?" You say yes, right? Customers do yeah. the same. Um, so asking people for help is, is, a, is a courageous thing for me. It's, it's brave mm. to do, right? But you should ask for help whenever you need it. Yeah. And, and that comes from mentoring too. 
Mm. You just give me steer in the right direction. And, and I'll, I'll give you one example. And I'll quote him because he's a fantastic mentor for me. A guy called David Callahan, who, who I worked for at, at Oracle. And in my young management days, when I was probably a bit of a tear away, he said, Darren, you need to move from salesman to statesman. And I mm. was just, it was like a punch in the solar plexus. He got me. Yeah. Right? And, and he, he was mm. so right. So right. Mm. Um, you can't hang around the bar every night and be a leader, right? You need to, and, and you need to elevate yourself and your, the way you, you engage with people and position and think about things and your responsibility to the organization you work for rather than just yourself. That's a statement. Mm. Um, yes. There's a lot to that statement. But, 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 there for sure is. When you did, that one phrase was well worth it. Isn't that funny that it's often it can come down to just a short sentence that if crafted right can really have this visceral impact on how we see ourselves and where we want to go. Um, Marvellous. Uh, you mentioned the Stoics there again and I wanted to, to ask you about that. In just First of all is where did you come across it and what were you looking for? And what was it that resonated with you? I went, I, um, I started walking at the start of lockdown, right? Start of, uh, and, uh, and I listened to some podcasts. I listened to a guy called Ryan Holiday. He has a show called mm. Stoic. Um, and I liked what he, 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 uh, he was saying. And then I, I read his book, um, The Obstacle is the Way. And I just thought it changed my life entirely. Just so much clarity came from, you know, that, that stoic wisdom and way of life and what they adhere to. Um, and and I, I follow it. You know, you talk about habits and it's habits that are important. You know, it's not setting goals, etc. It's what you habitually do every day. And I read, I read every day, just a little bit on... on mm. You know, they have, a, they have a one kind of sentence every day that you read and try and understand, and that just centers me really. Um, hmm. So I really, and then it, you move into I've read Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus and all these guys and a little bit of Zeno, and it's it, it's all fascinating things, it really is. Give me an example of what you've taken from from those readings. Um. So one of them is never suffer imagined troubles. So why cause yourself anxiety over something that probably won't happen? Mm. Anxiety leads to procrastination and procrastination leads to anxiety and that's no good in this job, right? It's no good in this mm. You've got to have the courage your convictions, mm. um, accept what comes, you, know, you accept fate and, and, and the good things and the bad things. Um, and you, you act with could comes down to courage as well. You've got to make courageous decisions too. There's mm. lots in there, lots in there that you can dig away at. Mm. Um, but but in essence, it's about looking to yourself before looking to everybody else. And worry about yourself. Don't worry about everybody else. What they're doing. Uh. Uh. But when you said that, it, it, what resonated with me, it sounded like Alan Watts something that Alan Watts was yeah. said, if you're familiar with his work. Yeah. Um, it's that 
it's kind of deep, deep philosophical thinking about life and your place in the world. What I'm curious about is, as you engage with, with the world, and as, and as much as you're comfortable sharing with me is, what do you notice, what do you see that where inside your head you're kind of going, the world needs more stoicism, the world needs more of the philosophies. The world needs more of this. What are, what are you seeing where you think these philosophies might help? Um, we live in a world where social media is just trying to kick you all the time. It's trying to, you know, trying to get a reaction from you. And, and the world is full of, you know, you spend five minutes on LinkedIn and you'll find some people arguing, right? Everybody wants mm. to tell everybody else how to live their life. Everybody wants to tell everybody else, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't name that. You shouldn't. Stoicism is just the opposite of that. You know, it's like, just leave it be. In fact, mm. you know, Marcus, I caught again, right? Marcus Aurelius says, you can choose not to have an opinion. It's a wonderful way mm -hmm. of looking at life, right? Something's just a bit too, just I choose not to have an opinion because that's my, it's my right to do that, right? I don't have yeah. to get, get embroiled. And I think, the, back to your question, though, the world is just complex and there's too many people pushing everybody else. And if only people would step back and worry about themselves, take care of themselves too, right? Take care of yourself. Mm. And, and not... Not be get not get irate about everybody else. I've calmed down so much, right? Through through this, um, it doesn't matter. There's also another. There's another. You know, I, I can't remember if it was Seneca or Aurelius said. You know, you would hardly return a kick to a mule or a bite to a dog. Don't react, right? Don't react in that way. You know, why would you do that? But so many of us do. Somebody cuts us up, we get really angry. Doesn't help us, right? Doesn't doesn't make my blood pressure any better. Let it go. Um, and that young kid growing up in Cumbria would have gone crazy, right? But but now, as a bit more of a mature man, I just let it go. So that's what for me. There's a lot that could come through. Um, mm. and we could, a lot we could learn. What were you, what, what were you like pre-pandemic then? Um, All right, I guess what I'm really asking is, was it gradual or was there an awakening for you? I think it was a little bit gradual, but that, but certainly there's an element of an awakening. Mm. Um, I like to think that I matured over time, definitely, mm. career-wise, absolutely. Mm. Uh, but then you get to a point that, that I think there was a couple of things that, that really stuck and resonated with me, you know, pandemic-wise, that, that, that I really mm. took forward. And I've consistently mm. gone with this, right? Mm. Tell me then, other than the, the philosophies, which I'm sitting here kind of listening to them and not just, it's not even the words you're using, but also your tone of voice is, is completely 100% consistent and congruent with what you're saying. And, and it certainly has an impact. There's no question about it. Um, and, and I'm very, very motivated to go and dig into this deeper because I've come across the likes of Alan Watson and, and a few others and they're, they're able to 
it's almost like this spike that goes down deep into your soul that goes straight down does not pass go does not collect 200 pounds and and it, and it just it, it it lights something inside you that you can go that's true but it could, but you have to be ready for it that's my thinking as well that there are certain points in your life that if you heard those exact same messages they would just go in one ear and out the other i think you yeah. have to have the main pain of experience and the pain of life before you can before it really resonates that that's my sense anyway. i'd be yeah, curious yeah. what you, yeah, you think about that and i think that's true yeah i think there's a time at which you 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 catch that boat and, and times when you, it'll sail past you right just because of yeah where you are in life and i think probably at that point in time in my life i was you know i was ready for something um yeah a change in my life at, at that time you know i was going through a yeah. divorce and um uh, you know, separation, changing jobs, etc. So there's a lot going on that kind of, mm. it's often the case that platform is something you look towards and yeah. uh, and it, it brings you out of where you are. It's a lot mm. of positive things for me there. Yeah. I think it's also what, what it says to me is that there, there are things you probably need to revisit throughout your life as well because that's, you hear them again and you kind of, I know I've had the sense before of, I, I never heard that the first time around the next time you listen to it or read it, you, you hear it again. Um, tell me, other than 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 the the these philosophers that you've been reading about, um, who else inspires you? Um, I think I've always followed sports. It's a classic sales cliche that, that people in sales admire great sportsmen. Um, and I think we all do. I'm a Manchester United fan. You know, I very much admired Alec Ferguson, and you know, I've read his books. And there's a lot of leadership qualities there, an awful lot. Um, mm. You know, he, he he had mentors too. He had great mentors. He listened to people. He was very much had the courage of his convictions, um, and very principled. He was a very principled man. And, and also, I loved the way he admitted when he made mistakes. It's really important, right? He would look back mm. and say, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but at the time, I thought it was the right thing. That's courage, right? I thought it was mm. the right thing to do. And I did it. And, and, and he probably lost friendships along the way, like, like, like long-standing friendships mm. with people. Because they work very closely together. These people work closely together day in, day out, and then they, 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 they're discarded at the end of their careers, right? It's mm. a tough place to be. So I admire mm. people like that. Um, I admire a guy called Steve Black, who was a coach at, at Newcastle Falcons rugby. So positive, right? You'd say to Steve, How are you today? And he'd say, I'm only wonderful, only wonderful today. Just super positive. Mm. Um, and, and you can draw lots of people from sport and the way they view the world and look at things and um, their attention to detail. And if we move it towards business away from philosophy and into business, it's, you know, it's the things that you habitually do every day and the consistency that really does mm. drive results. Mm. Um, yeah. You mentioned a, new tra a few traits there, um, Darren. You mentioned... Um, attention to detail, being a good listener, um, courage, humility, um, positivity. 
if you, if you look at all those traits that are important in being a good leader, if, is there one that stands out to you saying, look, if that doesn't exist, none of the others matter? I think there's a couple of key ones. I don't think it's just one. Okay. Um, I think you have to have a, a good leader needs courage. Right? You, you've got to make mm. decisions, and sometimes those decisions are tough. Um, mm. I also think a good leader needs to be authentic. I think that's the mm. primary thing to get people to, to follow you and want to work with you. You, you have to be authentic. Um, You've got to be able to perceive things as well. So, as, uh, you know, uh, emotional qualities as well, uh, an EQ that, that matters. Mm. Um, and I think it's a blend of all these things. There are probably individuals who can lead just on sheer will, sheer mm. will to make it work. But the great mm. leaders possess an awful lot of things. And, and it's a blend mm. of those things that. that, that Make, make somebody probably exceptional. Mm. I'd like to talk to you about your leadership transition where you went from being an individual contributor to a point where you, 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 you felt comfortable in your skin as a leader. What were some of the mistakes that you made that could have been avoidable? You, so, so when I got my first job as a, as a leader, I, my my sponsor at the time and mentor at the time, a guy called Dermot O'Kelly, said, you make every mistake in the book, Dermot. And I left that room thinking, there's no way I'm going to make every mistake in the book, but I did. Right? <laughs> Cocky, overconfident, but absolutely did, right? You do make every mistake in the book. Um, and I remember, I remember I used to say, when I was being tough on forecast calls, et cetera, I'd say, you know, what part of this don't you understand? Like this deal needs to happen this quarter. What part, it's not, it's gonna happen no, what part don't you understand? It needs to be this quarter. Right? So I took yeah. that into Europe. When I first got my first European role, I remember saying it to an Italian guy and he went, I, I understand everything you said. I can I understand English perfectly well. And I thought, ah, yeah. there's a translation thing there. But you can get little mistakes like amusing mistakes like that, yeah. but, but also over exuberance and and in some regards a belief that everybody shares the same passions as you. Mm. Some people operate differently, right? Some people mm. operate on just a, a, a single level, but it's, it, it might be very, very effective. They might not get up in the morning and just hit the phones and go crazy, right? They just want everything, absorb everything. They just work at a single pace, but are very, very good at it. And that's, it's, that, that's some of the mistakes you make. I think... I then, you know, a story recited to me sometimes, which, which I'm very proud of, is when I, my first role when I started managing three people. So I'd, I'd manage a manager, and a sales director worked for me. And uh, this was at Oracle. And we had, so she had a, a big deal coming, or one of her salespeople had a big deal coming. And in the office, and deals often came in late, and it was a it was twenty five, twenty six million dollars. So it was it was a sizable deal, and um, it was about maybe five p.m. and uh, and I sneaked off. I left. I went home. I got in the train to Leamington Spa. I got in my kitchen, opened a bottle of wine. She knew I'd gone, and uh, 
and then a couple of guys said, where's Gary? And, uh, and somebody said, he's gone home. What the hell has he gone home for? And then my boss at the time said, you know, that's leadership. He's gone home because he wants her to know she can do it herself, right? Doesn't, I don't need mm. to be here. And, uh, you know, I poured that glass of Barolo and she rang me and said the deal was in and that was it, right? It's done. And I think at that point, I was comfortable enough in my own skill as a leader, my own mm. skill as a leader, that, um, that I think there's a level of progression at that point um, to a bit more of an authentic leadership style. Mm. And, and, and that, that com- with that comfort came then confidence and lots of other things. How conscious were you at the time in going home that you were saying, look, I'm doing this because I want to signal to her that I have faith in her and I believe in her versus it was just, you just felt the right thing to do. I was conscious. Mm. You're either, sometimes you're a gardener and sometimes you're a carpenter and I needed to be a gardener. Explain those two to me, please. Well, you know, as a gardener, you're watering and and, and nurturing the garden and allowing it to flourish and grow by itself, right? And it develops. Mm. And you leave it to be. You know, it develops without you there, right? You're just, you're just encouraging it. You're gently coaxing it along. A carpenter, your hands on building something, right? You've got to take it apart and put it together. and It's very, very different. And sometimes you need to be a carpenter. Well, particularly mm. if you start a new role and you come in and things are, the structure's not right and the people aren't right and you need to rebuild something, you're a carpenter. But then you've mm. got to be... That, that, the, the biggest mistake people make is constantly be a carpenter, right? You've got to allow people to flourish. Allow mm. people to develop. Encourage them to develop. Let them I love that analogy. Yeah, I think that really, really works. I hadn't heard it described that way before. Pretty cool. Um, I, I'm also curious about what type of environment you prefer? The, that kind of high growth, small startup type company um, and, or the, the larger organization with lots of fixed structures and protocols and procedures? Probably mid-size, um, somewhere in between. Mm. I, I, loved, I was almost 10 years at Oracle and I loved it. I, mm. I often said to people, Oracle was good for me. And I think I was good for Oracle. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Developed an incredible amount, incredible amount. And then took a big decision to leave. And I went to a company called GT Nexus to run a media for them. And that mm. was just a world apart. That was a you know, pre-IPO, small business, you know, lacking in process, lacking in methodology, etc. Very different. But it was the right move for me, right? I, it, mm. I, I developed in different ways. I'm always looking to develop, and, and I think they give you different. You know, I'm not a one-trick pony, right? They give you different ways of mm. developing. A bigger organization gives you something. A smaller organization gives you something. Um, mm. I don't have a preference that in that regard, but I think I'm probably more comfortable somewhere where I am now, which is approaching a billion dollars um, yeah. turnover, and I want to take that business to you know, three to five billion dollars over time. Um, you know, on a global basis, I, that's not all my business, but, but I feel uncomfortable where I am now. Yeah. Tell me, um, 
if you couldn't work, let's not say couldn't work, didn't have to work, like there's, there's, you're financially independent, you don't need to work again in your life, and you, you kind of have to retire for whatever reason, let's just say, you cannot go back into a paid for corporate role again ever. What would you do with your time? Um, I, I, I give a big back. I'd like to be able to give a big back, and I'm considering something at the moment. I'm working on something to, you know, I want to bring together some some sales professionals, to try and raise some money for um, suicide awareness in, in the UK. Um, suicide prevention is the biggest killer for people, men and women under the age of 35 in, in this country. And, and I think we, we could do an awful lot more to address it. So that's what I would like to do. And, and I'm considering or, or I'm moving towards doing something in that regard now mm. um, with, with some, some friends. And, and I'd probably put a lot of effort into that. And at the same time, you know, I've got four kids. I can enjoy and uh, and spend time traveling too. Yeah. The uh, I'm curious about the suicide awareness. Um, I, I it's funny because I remember as a kid, there was a neighbor of a friend of mine's, and we used to dread the ball going over the wall because invariably you wouldn't see it again. <laughs> and he we we always perceived him as this grumpy old fecker. And I remember my mother saying to me at the time that yeah that his wife had died and it was and it was all hush hush. It was suicide. And it was something at the time actually was to die, to take your own life was considered a sin. Yeah. And people didn't talk about it. It was a, there was a huge stigma around it. And that's the one thing I've seen has changed enormously. I'm curious to see what understand what you've seen change about it as well in terms of how we respond to it and maybe what's behind in terms of some of the causes and is it my sense is just getting worse but I don't know I'm not as close to it as you are so talk to me a little bit about that what's what's behind your involvement and what is it that you'd like to achieve through through this initiative I think it was the biggest sin right was it, but you know, if you from Ireland right it was very much a sin to take your own life and these mm. anywhere i guess is it's viewed that way from a religious perspective it is getting worse it's getting worse because of the the world that we live in today you know people often feel detached cut off there's a lot of shaming a lot of shaming mm. you know you go on social media and i class linkedin as social media right and people like i said mm. earlier we're always having to go at everybody else um and that detachment and inferiority and complex that people people get to you know sometimes is too much um, mm. and I just think it's incredibly sad that this happens right that, that, that people feel this that that's the only route out for them um, mm. and I don't think we give it enough funding enough attention and look after each other enough to to, to kind of prevent a lot of it and I think a lot of it should be preventable if only people had the right mentors, the right support, the right outlet for themselves and encouragement, right? And, um, and and I just think there's an impact we can have. And it's touched a lot of people's lives. You know, I, I, mm. it's touched my life. It's touched colleagues' lives, friends' lives. Um, everybody will know somebody. Mm. But how many people are doing something about it? 
how much of it is, in your, in your view, um, coping skills, resilience, ability to deal with stuff that life throws at us versus the fact that so much of what we're experiencing nowadays, social media being one example of that, is, is outpacing our evolutionary capacity to keep up. With, with that, like I, you know, if, if you're bullied as a kid when I grew up, it's it was like you were told sticks and stones. But the thing about the bullying was you could get away from it. Now kids, if they're bullied, they're bullied online. There's no escape from it, and 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 that can be the tipping point. So I'm just wondering, if if you could tackle one of those, where would you go to, to to try and uh, help, in in some way. Um, I think it's I think it's. We talked a little bit earlier about periods in your life, right? Mm. There's elements in your life that that you might be at a point that you're pretty down or, or low or affected by something mm. and you, you feel mm. there's no way out. And it's trying to catch those people at that point in time. Mm. Um, mm. There are some people who suffer consistently over long periods of time. And I think they probably, in the most cases, and I, I don't want to be you know, speak out of turn, but in most cases they're probably looked after hopefully um, mm. and, and take medication or, or, or whatever it might be, but but uh, people are close to them looking after them, but it's the ones that you un do not suspect. It's the unsuspecting ones, you know, it's the people, it's the parents who have children and had no idea their children were being bullied, had no idea mm. that, that they were being, mm. you know, uh, picked on online, trolled online, whatever. Uh, it's those things if you can catch them but also maybe educate people on this is wrong right you, you shouldn't yeah. behave in that way you know what are we what are we what are we teaching kids at school these days mm. do social media companies have a role in this um they do but yeah if i'm cynical they, they don't make any revenue out of it I often think to myself, if the social, if, if the Twitters and the Facebooks of this world, you know, if there's a way to to monetize that, they would do so. Yeah. Because if there's something they can do to monetize something else, they will do it. They will find a way. Yeah. They talk about you know being unable to stop this online, despite their filters, etc. Hmm. But, but how motivated are they? I'm sure they're motivated, but not as motivated as they would be if they were earning money from it. And that's the sad yeah. thing, right? That's the sad thing. Yeah. I think part of it, and, and I don't know how you do it with uh, a younger generation, because I see it with my own kids, particularly my, my youngest daughter, well, my daughter, she's 20, and it's like, it's like her phone is like oxygen, and, and it, yeah. she can't be away from it. And and I and, and I do worry about it because I, I I'm I'm an early adopter, but just by nature I'm a techie geek. I used to be a programmer years ago. I love that what, early on Facebook, early on Twitter, LinkedIn, the whole shooting match. But I've gone off. I deleted my Facebook account about four years, three four three years ago. Uh, I'm off Twitter now at least six months because I just couldn't stand what it was turning me into. Yeah. And and I grew up without the mind, you know. So so I have that coding to go back to 
but I could see I was like you earlier. This is why what you were saying earlier resonated so much with me about, and about the, you know, you, you wouldn't bite a dog back or, or, kick, or a mule or kicked you, you wouldn't kick them back. I found I was doing that. It was just, and, and, and I, then I read a book, I can't remember the title of it, a great book, and it was about how the social media companies design, their algorithms are specifically designed to create that tension that they'll serve up articles that you agree with and then every 10th article will be something that you'll vehemently disagree with, designed to kind of get you in the comments and, 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 and fire you up. And the problem with that is that you get fired up and it's very hard to put that down and just walk away. It's not a binary moment. It's, it's it kind of, it's, it's, I guess it's like, you know, the after effects of any drug, it, it remains in the system for a while before it works its way out, which then impacts every other thing. So I, I just think for the most part, they're, they're quite toxic. Like everything, you know, alcohol, too much alcohol is toxic. A little bit of alcohol is fine. And, yeah. it's, and I think it's like everything. Same with social media. I think there, our problems are in moderating it. And uh, that's, I do worry about that in terms of where it's going. So, uh, hmm. All right, we probably should talk about something else other than yes, social media. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Tell me something. Um, your 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 vision for the future, in terms of what how you'd like to shape it, what's important to you. Like we were having this conversation maybe in five ten years time. Um, what would you like, to, looking back on the previous 10 years, what would you like to be talking about as accomplishments and things that happened in the world that you thought, you know, that, that's a really good thing? You mean work-related, specifically, or in, in general? I, 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 in general first, and then, then talk about work. I think... I think there's, there's an ego thing with, with everybody that they feel they have to have a legacy, right? I have this huge problem with the UK at the moment, the past few years, where every Prime Minister seems to feel that they have to have a legacy. What will be my legacy? How egotistical, mm. right? You don't need a legacy. Your legacy should be you just, you just run the country in the best way possible, you know, believing in, in what you believed in, right? Simple as mm. that, and, and, and having the courage of your convictions and trying to do the right thing. It's not a legacy. So I don't want, I, I don't hanker after leaving something behind or making an impact in, 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 in terms of the world. Um, I think that's a very lofty ambition anyway. Mm. Um, but in, in, in five years time, I'll be, you know, hopefully looking towards a, a, a retirement um, and I've enjoyed my time, right? Enjoyed the last five years. Thoroughly enjoyed it from a, a professional perspective and a personal perspective. Mm. Um, and, and brought through people of the same ilk, people who are also flourishing, enjoying themselves, competent, learning, um, and rounded people and professionals. And, and, and mm. similarly for, for my children too. So I think yeah, that, that's what I'd look for. I, I don't want to be a, a superstar out, you know, outside of work um, or, or mm. at work or, or otherwise professional. Um, and I think that sums it up really for me. It's just... Mm. I like it. You know, I, I want to I enjoy it. I want to enjoy the next five yeah. years. 
Yeah, and I, I think you're right, because you're going to be dead for a long time. You might as well enjoy the time while you have here. Um, the legacy thing is interesting because I, I know some people and they're, they're big on that. And my thoughts, and I would agree with you, is that the, the people, and maybe it's, a, maybe it's a case of people who are trying to create these legacies are just looking at people from history who, who, who've had a legacy, like, like Churchill, right? You, you can't deny people like Churchill who have left a legacy. He yeah. is bigger than who he was as a human. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, if you look at those, and, and I think, oh, I won't sway too much into modern politics, but if you look at, say, somebody like Zelensky, he didn't yeah. set out to be some wartime leader. He was thrown into that. Yeah. And, and I think legacy is something that circumstances create for you and how you adapt to it. But I don't know that you can plan for it, which is, I think, what you're saying is, and I think if you try to do that, you're starting, you're, you're in it for all the wrong reasons. Um, and, and therefore, it's, it's less likely to even work out for you. It's a wonderful way of putting it. It's, I, I think you're absolutely correct. You, you, yeah. you, if you set out to create a legacy, yeah, I think that's probably the wrong motivation. Um, yeah, it comes to you. Zelensky is a classic example. You know, yeah. in the hour of need, he, he asked, didn't say, you know, he, he said, "Give me more, give me more weapons. I don't want to mm. get out of here." That's yeah. what he said. I, I don't want the passage out of Ukraine. Give me mm. more, more weapons to fight. And I yeah. think he's well on the way to becoming, you know, Churchill-esque in that in that regard as as a as a leader and yeah. what a legacy he'll leave behind. Yeah, I think he's done more for masculinity than a thousand books in any library. Probably. Be Probably. Because, you know, there's, 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 there's shallow elements of masculinity. I think what he's doing is he's, 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 he's taken all the good in that and, and putting it on display for people to say this, this. And I, he's not doing that on purpose. That's not his goal at all. I think it's just something that you can just admire the way he's, he's stood up in people's hour of need that... Yeah. Um, if you were then, Darren, if you were min or, yeah, Minister for Education in the UK government, what subject would you make mandatory in secondary schools? I would tear the whole curriculum up. I would tear the whole curriculum up. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Best answer I've had yet to that question. I haven't even heard the second part of it, so please. Uh, I I'd teach children life skills empathy understanding emotional intelligence you know where they sit on the spectrum i'm slightly yes. I probably haven't, I, I, I've, I've got autistic tendencies right as have two of my children mm. um mm. But, but it, boy it took me so long to understand that and once you mm. understand it and where you fit in from a personality perspective with everybody else this comes back to we talked a bit about suicide right understanding where you fit in is incredibly important and w whether you're an introvert extrovert or an extrovert introvert how that means you engage in a classroom and understanding how some how paul engages in a classroom right because that's his personality trait i think mm. they're fascinating things right teaching kids mm. how to work with finance what's the point of learning algebra when actually you're never really going to use it but what you might do is you might use personal finance and understand credit cards and APR and what it means, um, compound interest, etc. Right, and mortgages mm. and things like that. Why don't we teach kids that? They'd be far mm. better. Teach them to be friends with each other. Goodness me, 
I mean, that would be a role, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. I agree. I, you know, I often had the the the, the thoughts when we, when I think back in school and I was uh, not a good pupil. Oh, I wasn't a bad pupil. I just I I I, I discovered you that I did one of these little online things that says, yeah, you probably got ADHD. Now I said to my wife, you know, she said. <laughs> like that's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 but anyway, but it was, th that of course affected me in school because I was always looking out the window or anything would distract me, and I really, really struggled to focus on 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 the topic at hand unless I was really interested for some, re but had some external reason for being interested in it. But but, um, but lends itself to other roles, right? You understand yourself. No, for sure. You know what you're good at. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think it's helped me enormously in a classroom where I can, I can be really reactive in, in a positive way to what's going on and be present because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hypervigilant in, in that sense. Um, so I, I think it's helped me when I discovered that. I mean, I went into training having no idea whether I'd ever be any good at it or not. And I, I certainly think it's helped me. But anyway, aside, one of the things I often thought was that we spend way too much time in school focusing on language and not, when I say language, I in foreign languages and not nearly enough on communication, how we communicate with people, both in terms of uh, being understood, listening, understanding other people, um, uh, you know, whether you're figuring out whether people are big picture, detailed, you know, all of those elements of communication. We, we don't, we don't touch those at all. We just learn how to, the how to decline a moa massa mat a marma misamit. I mean, <laughs> I did Latin and, and and I hated every second of it, because it just made no sense to me. None. And 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 we we force kids to make a decision on what subjects they want to take at such a young age. When, yeah, you know, I say to my kids, you're going to work for fifty years. You leave mm. at twenty, you're going to work until you're seventy or thereabouts. It's fifty years. Choose something you love. Yeah, and we're forcing mm. kids at 13, 14 to make decisions on where their life will go. It's crazy. You know, mm. let me just give you a final thing about, about education system, right? There's still bells. We get kid children, we ring the bell to mm. bring them in after break. It's just not moved on from Victorian times, right? It's crazy. Mm. Mm. How would you solve that problem in, in, like, let's say you've got a school, there's 500 kids and they're out in the yard. How do you get them in? You've got to give them a sense of, of, of purpose and, and responsibility that they will come in. And it might be okay. chaotic for a week. And after a yeah. week, they will know, put some clocks up, they'll know it. mm. it's, uh, it, it's, it's one o'clock, lunch is finished and mm. In the office, and back in the back in the office, I need to be back in the mm. classroom. Yeah, um, no, it's true. Work. Actually, I, 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 yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. You're right. You're right. It's the same with work. Nobody rings a bell at work, but people just show up. I know, I know. Yeah, they'd be able to read their yeah. watches better, right? The kids would. <laughs> they get a comprehension yeah. of time. Yeah. Darren, two quick questions before I let you go. Uh, Desert Island you're going to be marooned on a desert island, you have no clue whether you'll ever be rescued again. What one thing, it can't be a person, what one thing would you bring? Marcus Aurelius Meditations. 
Okay, interesting. I have to look into this, I really do. If your house were on fire, family are safe, any pets are safe, phone and computer, obviously, uh, you have time to run back in and rescue one item in your house, what would it be? Nothing. 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 Okay. I should, have, I should have known that from your philosophies, I really should have. Nothing is that precious, right? It's just, it's, yeah. they're all items, Not, nothing's that yeah. precious. I've got some nice items, yeah. but I, wouldn't, yeah. I don't have anything special. Okay, final question. If there was a book, after your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? You used to call me the Leamington Milk Float at rugby. <laughs> I was so slow. The Leamington Milk Float, something like that.